you, Samantha. Uh, I don't know why, but I found myself emotional today, too, and I'm not pregnant, I know. <laughs> but uh, isn't it great that we can laugh a little bit about ourselves, too, uh, in the Lord? This morning, continuing a series that we started last week on awakening the church. Remembering who we are and whose we are. And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 4, 5, and, and 6. But for our scripture reading, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of James. And when you find James chapter 1, to stand in our God's honor. So I want to read verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let's pray. God, here we are, Lord. As Samantha has sang and reminded us, we lay our lives before you, the living God. And Father, as we take time to look back at the church recorded for us in the book of Acts, Father, um, help us remember, Lord, when you first graced us, Lord, when you became real to us, Father. You've always been real, but we missed you before. You opened our heart and you opened our eyes and you did this great work. And Father, uh, we just need you. Uh, I pray, Father, of course, for your spirit to continue to work in this service uh, in spite of me. Thank you, Father, for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, whenever you think about revival and awakening and renewal, I couldn't help but think of that verse, Second Chronicles seven fourteen. You know, where the Scripture says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I'll heal their land. Notice the emphasis there is, he says, my people. He's speaking of those who have already come into a personal relationship with him who are seeking Him, who are worshiping Him, who are loving Him, who are His. And He's talking about the condition of His people. He's not talking about the lost world. He's talking about His people. And, you know, it's interesting. I found conversations when we talk about the erosion of our culture, of our beloved country, and of families and the breakdown and the pain. And, you know, so often we go back and we say, you know, back there when prayer was taken out of school, when abortion was legalized, when homosexuality became viewed as racial discrimination instead of sin, when issues that are of the Scripture suddenly became antiquated instead of life itself. And I thought about the early church. I thought about the church that's recorded here in Acts. And, and guys, they lived in a tough culture. 
they were in a political setting that was not in agreement with their beliefs and with their hearts. In other words, they had trouble. They faced trouble. And as the Scripture that I read in James said, he said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because God's at work. He says, Perseverance must finish its work so that your faith may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, God wants us to grow up in Him. He wants us to be aware of His presence. He wants us to be who we already are. He, he has a heart that He, he, he wants to work. Uh, matter of fact, as I thought about this, I think so often our focus is wrong in that our focus is on what we've lost instead of praising God that we're no longer lost. And see, that makes all the difference. Not that I don't mourn some of that which has been lost uh, over these last couple of decades, because I do. It breaks my heart. But, but we need Him. We need the Lord in our lives. We need to be reminded that we're no longer lost, that we've been given hope. And as we look at the early church here, turn me to Acts chapter 4, we're going to work through here and look at a church that is fully alive, although they had problems all around them. And it was a very difficult setting in which to live their faith. And the church just exploded in growth, as we talked about last week. Started out 3,000, what a baptismal service. Man, that must have been popping. What a, what a great time. And then you come to chapter 4, and in verse 4 it says, But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. It just mentions men, not the rest. But there was this huge growth within the church. God was moving with, with great power. And it's easy as, as something grows in number to lose sight of, of your purpose of your vision, of why you're coming together, of, of where your heart is. And, and it's easy to, to lose track of, of God's call and, and His best for us. And, and then on top of that, you know, it talks about in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that He's put this treasure in clay pots. In other words, we're weak. And I love Barbara Johnson had a book, something about we're all crack pots. And, you know, there's, there's so much truth to that as well. So these were not perfect people. They were just people that realized that God had saved them. That God had worked in their lives. That, that, that God was at work. So, as you come to Acts chapter 4, in the end of chapter 3, there is one who is, uh, in chapter 3, uh, uh, there's a guy that's healed, a crippled beggar. And then Peter begins to speak and... <laughs> the priest and the captain of the temple in chapter 4 in the Sadducees, they come up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. It says in verse 2, they were greatly disturbed. Why? Because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And it says they seized Peter and John because it was evening and they put them in jail until the next day. What was happening? God was working through Peter and John. You see, that what had they lost, man? They'd get ready to lose their freedom. They're getting ready to be thrust in jail. But they didn't lose their joy. Why? Because in, instead of focusing on what had been lost, they focused on the fact they were no longer lost. That God walked with them. That, that, that God was guiding them. That, that God was there in their presence. That God was at work. And, and, and these were a group of people, you know, they, they're thinking, well, you know, you keep talking about this Jesus and... and 
He was crucified and, and He no longer lives. And, and, and you keep blaming us for His death. And but you know what? They never found a body. They looked and they looked. You know why they didn't? Because there was no body to be found. Jesus was resurrected. Jesus is alive. Look, it's, uh, you come down to here, verse 8. It says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other man under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And all they heard is, you're the ones that put Him to death. They were under deep conviction. They, they, wanted to, they wanted Peter and John to be quiet. They wanted to snuff out their witness. They wanted to snuff out this spreading flame of Jesus Christ that was moving greatly among those people in that day. That, that, was, that was what they were about. They tried to silence them. And I want you to notice what happens here in verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary in other words, they were not slick. They were not posh. They were not overly charismatic. So what was it about them? They were just ordinary guys. What was it about them that made the difference? They were astonished. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. <laughs> wow. In other words... They weren't focusing on what they had lost, but that they were no longer lost. And they had spent time with Jesus, and they had recounted the fact that He had entered their lives, that He had forgiven them, that He was working through them, and that heaven was their hope and their home. And, 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 and they, were, they were alive as that was their heart. That was their focus. And as they were moving, God was at work through these lives. These people were astonished. Then they shared some Scripture, and, and they began to talk, and... And they, these religious professionals, they tried to figure out what they could do, how they could punish these guys, how they could stop their preaching. And so they they came together, and, and they were afraid, though, because people were seeing how God was at work, and so they were afraid of the people. And then in verse 18, it says, They called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John, they replied, He says it, is it right in God's sight to obey you rather than God? We cannot help speaking. It, as, as God works, as, as, he, as He touches lives. And I love it, guys, as, as they speak on. He comes down here to verse 29. <laughs> he makes this great request. Uh, now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. You know, I love Vance Haber. He used to say, uh, the only thing... Uh, Yellow is a, a yellow streak in the middle of the road and dead possums, you know. He says, Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting 
was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. In other words, these guys were set free. They came back to the believers. They sat with the believers. They talked about how God had rescued them, how He had worked through them, how there was this opposition, there was this persecution. Then they said, Lord, empower us, enable us. God did. And man, they were excited and they were sharing with the people. And then when they prayed, the whole place shook. There was a holy rattle. As God was at work and as He was giving His approval to what He was doing. And, and I love it. It made me think of Proverbs 22, 4. It says, Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth, honor, and life. Those two key components of a life that's awakened in Jesus Christ. Humility, understanding who He is and understanding who we are and how it makes a difference for those two to be connected. And the fear of the Lord. A holy respect. A respect of who He is. I want to read to you this. Matter of fact, I... As I studied this, I had this email. Got it. I don't remember back when, but he said it's Urban Miz, but it's still worth reading, guys. He says uh, two highway patrol officers conducting speeding enforcement on I-15 uh, north of Oceanside, California. One of the officers was using a handheld radar device to check speeding vehicles approaching the crest of the hill. The officers were suddenly surprised when the radar gun began reading 300 miles per hour and climbing. The officer attempted to reset the radar gun, but it would not reset, and then it suddenly turned off. Just then, a deafening roar over the treetops revealed the radar had in fact locked on to a USMC FA-18 Hornet, which was engaged in a low-flying exercise near its home base location. Back at the California Highway Patrol headquarters, the patrol captain fired off a complaint to the U.S. Marine Corps base commander for shutting down his equipment. The reply came back in true USMC style. Thank you for your letter. You may be interested to know that the tactical computer in the Hornet has detected the presence of and subsequently locked onto your hostile radar equipment and automatically sent a jamming signal back to it, which is why it shut down. Furthermore, an air-to-ground missile aboard the fully armed aircraft had also automatically locked onto your equipment location. Fortunately, the Marine pilot flying the Hornet recognized the situation for what it was, quickly responded to the missile system alert status, and was able to override the automated defense system before the missile was launched to destroy the hostile radar position. The pilot suggests you cover your mouths when cussing at them. Since the video systems on these jets are high-tech, Sergeant Johnson, the officer holding the radar gun, should get his dentist to check his left rear molar. (laughs) It appears the filling is loose. Also, the snap is broken on his holster. (laughs) Sometimes we think we're a big deal. We're not. Sometimes we need to, 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 to stop and recognize God. And maybe there'll be a holy rumble among us. Now, Chapter 5, the internal problem crops up as we read about Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, Notice there in verse uh, 1, as it mentions them, it said they sold a piece of property. It said with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back a part of the money for himself, brought the rest to put it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? You've lied to the Holy Spirit and had kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, was it the money at your disposal? 
What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. So this married couple were conducting a scam where they were keeping some of the money for themselves and acting as if they were doing this great ministry, giving it all. But it's interesting, when Peter confronted them, the Holy Spirit led him to say, you're not just lying to people, to men. You're lying to to God. You're lying to the Spirit. And uh, wow, the price that was paid. Look what it says here. Um, When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Boy, that's an understatement. (laughs) It says, Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. What a scene. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, this is the price. (laughs) Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they'll carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. I bet. You know, uh, the witty evangelist Vess Hefner said that if God dealt with the church now, like he did in the days of Ananias and Sapphira, there would have to be a morgue in the basement of every church. You know, the point I got here out of this is not so much that now at this moment when we're, you know, lying about our own hearts and and what we're doing, that God's going to zap us dead. I mean, He's God. He can do that. But what I took out of this was how critical it is, how important it is for there to be integrity among God's people. Boy, that speaks volumes. Are you real? Or are you playing a game? Do you really walk with God? God cares. You see, He has placed this where His message goes out through clay pots. I know we're cracked. But the point of it is, God wants us to be real and people need to see that. And, and, and that, that is so critical. That's so important, guys. So important. All right, verse 17, it says, Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They were jealous, these religious professionals, as God was working through these unschooled, ordinary people. They end up throwing them back in prison in verse 18 as they share Jesus. It says, verse 19 says, During the night an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. And what's interesting is, uh, as you look in chapter 5 here, it says that, verse 22, it says, uh, On arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. So God was God had set them free to, to, to work and, and, and to teach. And, 
And then down in verse 28, he says, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, the persecutors. Yet you fill Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And they were ready to kill him. They were so angry at them. They were under such conviction. And it says, as you read down here, that one of those uh, teachers of the law, respected man, Gamaliel, he said, look, guys, he said, remember there, there was a, another uh, movement that had started and it came of nothing as time went on. And so my advice is, just let them go. He said, if, if they're of God, we can't stop them anyway. And if, if they're not, we're just going to cause big, uh, bigger problems. And he said, so, so let them go. And, and, and that's what happened with them. J. Vernon McGee uh, talking about Daniel, but you could also say it about these guys. He said, the reason the lions did not eat Daniel is because he was three-fourths backbone and the rest gristle. And that could certainly be said of these guys. Uh, and then one more in Acts chapter 6 as we see the enemy attacking from the inside. Uh, it, it says, in those days, verse 1, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution so that word complain it literally means to murmur so there was a gossiping and a murmuring that was going on but they had a legitimate concern (laughs) these Greek widows were being overlooked they weren't giving the same amount of attention as the Hebrew widows and so it was legitimate but it's never a good idea to talk bad about people and to talk behind their backs to murmur, which was what was occurring. And, 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 you know, the church, the attack came from the inside, not from the outside this time, to destroy the church. But notice how this was handled, and the church continued to grow. The twelve gathered all the disciples together. And they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. He says, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. He said, we'll turn this responsibility over them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And, and guys, this, this is amazing here because here we, it says all of them were in approval in verse 5. It pleased the whole group. And remember, we're talking about a big group of people, thousands. It says they chose Stephen. And, and, and then he mentions these guys, and there's only two of the seven that we've heard of, Stephen and Philip who would become these servants. And you know, I thought that fits God's heart. Because you don't have to be in the limelight to have an influence, to touch people. It made me think of this statement from Max Lucado's book. He says, in fact, heaven may have a shrine to honor God's uncommon use of the common. It's a place you don't want to miss. Stroll through and see Rahab's rope. Paul's bucket, David's sling, Samson's jawbone, wrap your hand around the staff which split the sea, smote the rock, sniff the ointment which soothed Jesus' skin and lifted his heart, rest your head on the same cloak that gave comfort to Christ in the boat, run your hand through the smooth wood of the manger, set your shoulder beneath the heavy Roman beam as coarse as a traitor's kiss. He says, I don't know if these items will be there, but I'm sure of one thing, the people who use them will. The risk-takers, Rahab who sheltered the spies, the brethren who smuggled Paul, the conquerors, 
David slinging a stone, Samson swinging a bone, Moses lifting a rod, the caregivers, Mary at Jesus' feet. What she gave cost much, but somehow she knew what he gave would cost more. He says, strong stewards who view what is theirs as his and make it available when he might. They were servants. God, when God begins to work, we begin to understand this is not about me, it's about serving Him and His people. And that was what was happening in the church. Um, There's two more little points here and, and I'm done. The world watches and is amazed when the church is alive and at work. Uh, people care about each other and they serve each other. As Jim Elliott said, we're just a bunch of nobodies trying to please somebody. There's that, that kind of heart. That people are able to see that we've really been with the Lord. And then um, the adversary, he'll stop at nothing to destroy the church if at all possible. He'll work from outside to discourage us and he'll work from inside with gossip or people who are trying to run some kind of scam and, and trick people. And there's all kinds of hurt that can occur. I'm going to read to you this quote from Eugene Peterson. It, this is actually from his introduction to the book of James in the message, this paraphrase. The Lord will honor any plan that upholds prayer and promotes His Word. Let us stay right here. Keep us from picking on one another. Give us grace. Help us trust You, Lord. When Christian believers gather in churches, everything that can go wrong sooner or later does. Outsiders, on observing this, conclude there's nothing to the religion business except perhaps business. And dishonest business at that. Insiders see it differently. Just as a hospital collects the sick under one roof and labels them as such, the church collects sinners. Many of the people outside are every bit as sick as the ones inside, but their illnesses are either undiagnosed or disguised. It's similar with sinners outside the church. So Christian churches are not as a rule model communities of good behavior. They are rather places where human misbehavior is brought out in the open, faced, and dealt with. And both require prayer and the ministry of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we know tough times come, but Lord, we know that you want to grow us up in Jesus. Father, that you want to work among us. So I just pray about that, Lord. God, we have an altar that is open. Uh, integrity is very important to you. Father, maybe there's some issue here that Father needs to be dealt with, and you're touching hearts about it. Uh, Father, that's why we have an altar. Lord, that's why we have a chance to confess our sin before you. And Father, just touch lives, God. Be at work, Lord. Father, we want revival to come among us, but we can't coerce you. We can't twist your arm. Father, all we can do, as G. Campbell Morgan said, is to set ourselves in your direction and pray that the Spirit of God will blow us toward you. And I pray you do that, Lord. God, we need you. Have your way in this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.